Support for the Objectified More Than a Body series on UPR is provided in part by our members and Women's Giving Circle, a collection of everyday philanthropists who are raising the questions and raising the funds to explore and dismantle the state of objectification of Utah's women and girls. For information on this year's theme, Implicit Bias, visit www.womensgivingcircle.com. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. UPR has an ongoing series, Objectified More Than a Body. And uh, we're going to have a panel discussion uh, today. Some of the subjects uh, of uh, the pieces that you've been hearing in Morning Edition and All Things Considered are the perils of pretty, higher education and objectification. One in three, talking about uh, abuse, that's a startling statistic, one in three women, escaping the FLDS community, lessons in falling down, that's a fun uh, piece on the roller derby. Uh, We've had uh, pieces on the sex trade, overcoming gender roles in science, an exhibit called Fat Phobia, Um, a discussion on pornography, and uh, we've had just uh, yesterday and today, a mother-daughter battle with anorexia. We're going to talk about that piece today. One more piece coming up next week. It's called A Running Start. Um, And uh, in events and uh, throughout the series, we're asking the question, I feel objectified when? And we've had uh, people uh, write their answers on a a chalkboard. We've got that up on our website. We'll talk about this with uh, Candy Carter Olson, who is Assistant Professor of Media and Society at Utah State University. Welcome back to the program. Thank you, Tom. We have uh, Mary Kay Anderson, uh, who is a Cache Valley resident and, and the mother in that piece, Mother-Daughter mm-hmm. Battle with Anorexia. We'll talk about that. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Tom. And we have a couple of uh, Candy Carter Olson's students, USU students, um, Haley Hendricks. Welcome to the program. Hey, thank you. So tell me what year you are in school. Um, I'm a sophomore here at Utah State. Okay. And uh, major? Um, I'm broadcast in journalism, and I actually just declared my minor yesterday in women and gender studies. Okay. Uh, very appropriate to the discussion today. Yes. Um, and we have Maddie Smith with us. Thank you. W- what year are you in school? I'm a junior. And what's your major? Public relations and business marketing. Okay, great. Great to have you all here. We're throwing out this question, this key question about objectification, which is a real problem. And I'll, I'll begin with Candy Carter Olson to, to outline the scope of the problem. Um, but I feel objectified when. And you can uh, tweet us. Uh, our handle is at UPR Access. Or you can email us your answer. I'd love to uh, get your perspective. Uh, not just women, too. A growing men. problem with men. Yeah. Um, so tell us what you think. I feel objectified when, dot, 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 fill in the blank. Uh, you can send that to upraxis at gmail.com, which is our email, upraxis at gmail.com. Or you can call us to 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. So Candy Carter Olson, um, in the piece uh, that uh, featured you, um, you talk about how a disturbing trend began appearing on YouTube. Teen girls, and in case some cases preteen girls, started posting videos asking strangers on the Internet to answer a question, am I pretty? Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, which is disturbing. But it was a trend. It's kind of uh, decreasing now, but you, uh, you say there, there's another trend. Um, hit my right. Yeah, and I mean, there's all kinds of trends that go across on social media. Um, that I think kind of echo that it's, and we look for, so we know that social media actually um, interacts with our brain. And when we get likes and positive feedback on um, social media, it's actually like um, our brain's pleasure centers go off and 
um, there's MRIs that show this actually happening. And I teach my social media students this, so they've seen um, all of the evidence that shows that when you get likes, um, it becomes addicting. And so when we see teens and preteens posting selfies of themselves online um, and looking for that positive feedback, it becomes almost like an addiction because it's it's um, triggering the same kinds of centers in your brain that addiction, addictive drugs mm. trigger as well. So when we see things like, um, am I pretty? Um, hit me up. Um, give me a rate, all of these social media games, what we're seeing is um, girls and women and young men playing a game of social media chicken where they're looking for positive feedback. But at the same time, like we see on YouTube, YouTube is full of trolls. Um, so they also get torn down um, and it works toward um, perpetuating all kinds of problems in our society. Like we're seeing, you guys reported on this in your fat phobia one, um, girls as young as 10 are 82 percent um, are saying that they're fat or that they are afraid of being fat. There's this deep fear of being fat as if that's the worst thing you could be. Um, and, you know, when I talk to my students about this, I say, you know, it's not about health, but what would it do to our society if we changed our thinking from you need to exercise and restrict your diet and do all of these horrible things because you hate your body. But instead, what would it look like if we moved toward a society that said, you love your body so much that because it's a warrior and it works and it births five babies, yep. like Mary Kay over here, <laughs> yep. um, or like Haley and Maddie over here are going through finals, it's getting them through finals and their brains are working and all of these things. If you treated your body right and kept it healthy because you loved it so much and you honored it, what kind of shift would that mean in our, our national thinking? Hmm. Yeah. Um, this is treated in the in the series, and we're talking about objectified more than a body. A series that's been running on uh, Utah Public Radio in Morning Edition and All Things Considered. Hope you've been enjoying that. You can find all of these uh, pieces well worth the listen at our website, upr.org. Um, I, I, I want to be careful how I ask this. When I rehearsed this question in my head, Candy, uh, um, it, it, it came off a little abrupt. Okay. But I, I, I mm -hmm. don't mean it abrupt. Mm-hmm. What is it about women then? So, um, so, by you know, it's, this hits women more than men, right? I mean, some men are, are uh, suffer from this, um, but it's it's societal, isn't it? We it is we societal. judge women based on their looks. Mm -hmm. um, we judge women much more harshly based on their work, their looks. And so, as a gender in the media scholar, I am seeing a rise in eating disorders among men. And so, the mm -hmm. I mean. Bigger among men, we see bigorexia. And what bigorexia is, is this is, is it's a body dysmorphic disorder, just like anorexia or bulimia. Um, but what bigorexia is, is that a man has to work out and build up more and more and more and be bigger and bigger and bigger to fit this societal idea that big 
is masculine. So muscles. Yeah. Muscles. For big muscles. Okay. Yeah. So it does, it does hit both sides, but it hits women harder because women have traditionally been judged as if you're ladylike, if you're an appropriate woman, you will be skinny. You will be quiet. You will disappear in some ways. And I mean, if you look at even the rhetoric of our clothing, a size zero, a size double zero zero, you literally do not exist. Um, so thinking about just even the history of fashion and women's fashion, going back to the 19th century and earlier, to be pretty, to live up to society's expectations, women have always had to do these things that were dangerous for us, like wearing dresses laced with a dye um, um, that was cyanide-based. It literally killed you to be pretty. Um, so we're literally dying to be pretty. Um, and we see that today, and we see that um, in how women are reacting to these images that they get from the media where they see, um, I can't be that skinny. I can't look like that. But statistics also show us that if women do not look like that, if they do not behave up to the standard, they're less likely to get jobs. They're less likely to be paid appropriately. So it has all kinds of ripple effects. Mm-hmm. And uh, high rates of plastic surgery would be another mm-hmm. another data point. Especially here in Utah. Yeah. <laughs> it, here in Utah. Yeah, especially here yeah. in Utah. Yeah. Wow. We have the highest rates of breast mo- augmentation surgery in the United States. That surprises me. What, what do you think in Utah? Um, you know, there's – you guys actually have had some reportage on this, which is kind of interesting. Um, but uh, when you're thinking about this, there's all kinds of reasons here. I mean, it's a cultural pressure. Um, you can – during the break, let's look up how many plastic surgeon surgeons are here in Utah. Um, but yeah, it's a cultural thing here that women in particular hear something about here in Utah. They have a standard to live up to. Mm-hmm. I want to turn to uh, to, to yeah, Haley and uh, and mm-hmm. Maddie. Uh, so we're, we're talking about these trends, and we know that they exist, right? Different standard for women, judged on your looks, and in fact, you know, more likely to be hired for a job. If you're thin, uh, more likely to be found innocent by a jury. If you're, yes. you know, <laughs> if you're, if you're seen as more desirable, uh, which is very disturbing. Uh, are there changes? Do you feel like do you, you know? Is are things changing, or do you still feel that pressure? Um, I still feel like I feel the pressure, but actually for my final project that I'm doing for Candy's class, I'm looking at the different ways women are portrayed in the media and how Victoria's Secret models. I mean, they've been being shamed for their perfect mm-hmm. body campaign this mm-hmm. past year. Mm-hmm. And then I've been looking at Aerie models and how um, American Eagle came out in 2014 with models that are untouched and not airbrushed. And that's interesting as well. So I, I do see a change as well as um, there are plus size models. So I do believe that the media has been coming out with more women being like standing up for that they can still be pretty, they can still be the real them, mm-hmm. no matter what size they are. So I do believe that there is change, but I think that there um, are still negative impacts on women and in, in the media. Mm. What about you, Maddie? Um, I definitely felt the comparison much more in high school than so up in college. Um, my final project isn't on body image, but um, in college, like 
no one is comparing themselves like they did in high school. And I grew up in the Valley and all the girls um, needed to have the best clothes, the best hair, the best makeup. And if you didn't, it wasn't that you were looked down upon, but they were definitely held to a higher standard. But at college, there's a whole variety of people and a variety of people who get ready and those who don't. And it's just, it's more accepting. So I have seen the change and maybe that's just with the age. Um, maybe that's just with a bigger community, but mm. I think it is changing, but I do think it needs to be worked on in mm. some places. Okay, thank you. Let me turn to uh, Mary Kay Anderson. Before I have you uh, tell the story of, of you and your daughter, by the way, that piece is um, was running yesterday and today, mm-hmm. a very uh, very powerful piece. Thank you. Uh, I just want to ask a general question. Um, you, you have sons and daughters? I do. I have three daughters and twin boys. So a uh, good perspective from a, from a mother. Um, what... What what do you tell your daughters in mm-hmm. general before we get to your daughter with anorexia? And what do you tell your sons? Because both genders have a role to play here, right? Absolutely. In trying to solve this problem. Absolutely. Um, with my daughters, they, all three of them, started dance at age three and danced um, with Tulers all the way up till they were on Vistons at Skyview. And they love dance. And as you know, there's a body image (laughs) that is very perfectionistic. And to be able to fit the costumes and look good throughout the dance, there's there's an image and there's a a stigma that goes with that. But I've really tried, um, as I've been raising my children, um, to teach them that who they are is way more important than what they look like. My girls are girly girls, but it's more important to treat people kind and treat people well and be a kind and loving person is more important than how you look. And I just tried to focus on that in the family and my boys as well to treat girls with respect. And they actually really do. Oh, good. <laughs> Grateful. Good. Yeah. And that is important, is it? We, mm-hmm. you know, we got to talk to the men too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I wanted to, uh, let's take a break. When we come back, I want to uh, have you tell the story of you uh, and your daughter, McKenna, right? Right. Uh, who suffers from anorexia nervosa. Um, let's uh, take that break. When we come back, we'll talk uh, more. And I, I want to uh, give you some quotes from the I Feel Objectified When board um, at, at events we've been doing with uh, the Objectified More Than a Body series. Um, we've been taking around this uh, big chalkboard. And have and it has on the top. I feel objectified when dot dot dot, and then people respond. And there's some very impactful, um, there's very impactful things here. I'll uh, I'm throwing that question out to you as well. I feel objectified when, and uh, you can respond to upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. You can respond to Twitter. Our handle is at upraxis, and you can call us toll free 800-826-1495. And we have that uh, stat. Um, let's see, uh, nearly six plastic surgeons for every 100,000 people in, uh, in, in Salt Lake City. That's two and a half times the national average. So Candy Carter-Rolson looked that up. That, that's disturbing. Um, and, uh, and we're, I guess, poster child number one yeah. <laughs> here, here in Utah, unfortunately, for that. Uh, so good discussion here. Uh, we're talking about Objectified More Than a Body. It's a series that's been running on Utah Public Radio, and uh, we're talking about it with Candy Carter Olson, Assistant Professor of Media and Society at USU, USU students uh, Haley Hendricks and Maddie Smith, and with uh, Cache Valley resident Mary Kay Anderson, hopefully with you as well following this break. This is Science by the Slice. 
When discussing how one species evolved into two or more distinct species, scientists often surmise the uplift of mountains, which split populations of plants and animals, was a contributing factor. Not so fast, says USU entomologist James Pitts. You might expect this of desert species, where the terrain is typically isolated by mountain ranges. But for some organisms, he says, evidence points to glaciations that occurred during the Ice Age. A foremost scholar of wasps known as velvet ants, Pitts compared molecular data from modern-day ants with data collected from fossils and says the findings support the idea that relatively recent glacial action rather than ancient mountain formation led to new species. This segment of Science by the Slice is brought to you by the USU College of Science, offering degree programs in the sciences and mathematics. Details at usu.edu science. It can be tough to reserve a spot at the annual Christmas concert with the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Tickets are free and they go fast. I'm Julie Amacher. Join me and music director Mac Wilberg to hear the 360 voices of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir soar in honor of the season. Christmas with the Mormon Tabernacle Choir from APM. Join us Monday evening at 9 here on Utah Public Radio. And you can check out our website, upr.org, for information on our holiday programming. Support for the Objectified More Than a Body series on UPR is provided in part by our members and Women's Giving Circle, a collection of everyday philanthropists who are raising the questions and raising the funds to explore and dismantle the state of objectification of Utah's women and girls. For information on this year's theme, Implicit Bias, visit www.womensgivingcircle.com. On a scale of 1 to 10, they rate you how hot you are. Social media chicken. I think a lot of people think, oh, it doesn't really happen here. We were only married for two years, and I was suicidal by the time I divorced him. Try your hardest, and even if you fail, that's going to just make you better. Look at your mind, and what a powerful tool that is, as opposed to always saying that they're cute and pretty. And I think any parent needs to have this conversation. Those are some quotes from the Objectified More Than a Body series. It's a series that's been running. There's one more to come next week. Uh, Some of the titles of these uh, features heard on uh, Morning Edition and All Things Considered uh, beginning October 11th, and it's running through December 20th. Uh, The Perils of Pretty, Higher Education and Objectification. One in Three, that's a piece about abuse, escaping the FLDS uh, community. Uh, Sex Trade, Overcoming Gender Roles in Science, Fat Phobia, and a mother-daughter battle with anorexia. That's the one for this week. We're going to talk about that just uh, coming up shortly. Um, we we're throwing out this question that the series is asking. I feel objectified when? Uh, we'd love to get your answer to that. You can reach us uh, by email to upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. You can reach us by Twitter uh, to our handle uh, at upraxis. And you can call us, 800-826-1495. We have with us USU students Maddie Smith and Haley Hendricks. We have uh, Cache Valley resident Mary Kay Anderson. And we have Assistant Professor of Media and Society at USU, Candy Carter Olson, uh, with me in studio for the hour. Uh, we had an email that came in. Uh, we were talking uh, before the break about how Utah has uh, one of the highest rates of plastic surgery in the nation. Um, and uh, uh, here is Alec by email who says, there's no need to be coy about the reasons for this. There is the hive mentality that goes with the religious attitude of this state, where everybody has to be perfect, the home must be just right, children must be meek in public, 
Women must be little copies of one another, hence high rate of plastic surgery, drug abuse, and suicide. Mm-hmm. Mary Anderson, you're nodding your head. What's, what's, what do you think about that statement? I absolutely agree with that. I grew up in this valley. I've lived here all but one year of my life, and the cultural pressures to be perfect, I've been caught up in myself. I couldn't have a weed in my grass. <laughs> my house was perfect. I became a single mom when I was pregnant with my twins and three little girls, and yet I felt the intense desire, drive, to be perfect, put mm. a smile on, mm. and cry at night when you go to bed because of the burden to be perfect in everything, realizing in my mind that that's not really true, but the pressures to have a perfect home and have high achieving, excelling kids involved in everything they want to do. And um, I did a pretty good job, I would say, in raising my my youngest are 20 now, and, um, and they're all amazing. But the pressure is intense because everybody is watching you and you know that people are talking about you <laughs> behind their back mm. and they may not say it, but it's true and it's felt. Mm. But uh, I will uh, say I've had a lot of support. There's a mm. lot of amazing mm. people in this valley. I couldn't have done it without them. Mm-hmm. I want to just follow up and, and, and get your response to Alex's uh, uh, comment from the rest of the panel. Uh, where's that pressure coming from? Where do you feel that coming from? Is it religious pressure? Is it pressure from women in the community? Is it pressure from men? You know, pressure from inside yourself? What? All of the above. Mm-hmm. It's it's. This has been my journey because I didn't realize as I was growing up that everything comes from within, and that is the source of everything is from within. And I thought everything was outside. And so it was always just being perfect out there. But what I realize now in my journey of, um, of spiritual growth and progression is that um, I decide my life. And if someone else mm-hmm. doesn't like how I look or what I do, that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's just an opinion. Mm-hmm. And I still love myself regardless. Yeah. When did you come to that realization? With, you know, so. um, Probably about six or seven years ago Mm. when my life shifted, which is also when the eating disorder manifested with my daughter, when we had a lot of things shift in our life. And, um, and I can get into that, but, um, the, um, the situation in our family changed and I was going to get married and just everything kind of went upside down at that time. And I know people were talking about me. I have a lot of people that love me. And I'm grateful for that. But I know that there were a lot of people saying, why would she do that? (laughs) And I just had to learn, you know what? I know what I'm doing. And I know that I'm making the best decisions. And I had to learn to just love myself through that. Because if people are going to talk about me, that's their business. Mm -hmm. And my business is taking care of myself and my family and the people that I love. And that's number one for me. Yeah, and you you can you know I, as as you so eloquently put put that. Um, thank you for sharing. If you're feeling that intense pressure, you can you can see how you know if it goes wrong, it can could lead to drug mm-hmm. abuse, could lead to suicide, could lead to plastic surgery. You know whatever it might be. Let me uh, pose that to um, to Maddie and Haley. Uh, Haley first. 
Do you feel that pressure? Yeah, I do. I feel like I felt more of that pressure in high school, kind of what Mary Kay was saying, um, to be perfect. And I feel like I'm usually a pretty happy person. And even in high school, when I would just have a day where I was exhausted and tired, I couldn't have those days. People would be like, are you okay? What's wrong today? And I was like, can't I be a normal human being and have bad days? Like, it's it's normal. It's it's reality. Mm-hmm. But I mean, what everybody wants to see is always that happy, spunky person, which I feel like I am a majority of the time. But sometimes like people are people and have their days. But I do feel like a lot of that pressure comes from social influences, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maddie, what uh, what about that pressure? And where do you do you feel it first? And where, where do you think it comes from? Um, yeah, I definitely feel it. I grew up in the Valley too. I've been here my whole life and I definitely felt it a lot in high school. There was the pressure to be perfect, have the perfect house, have the perfect clothes, get the perfect grades, do all the extracurricular activities. And I never fit (laughs) into that mold. Um, my parents and I, like we are not perfect by any means and we're happy with it. And we just Mm -hmm. had to learn that it's okay. We don't need to have the perfect yard. Like it's fine it really is fine and you don't need to have the perfect clothes like it's much better to be a kind person and to be nice to people rather than get all the perfect things Hmm. uh candy carter olson i wonder uh, you know about you personally and and then i then i have a follow-up i wonder uh, before we go on to we've got another couple of responses here and i want to hear mary Kay anderson's story but alec has laid this at the, the you know he's Let's not be coy, Alex says, <laughs> and has basically laid this at the at the feet of the LDS Church. Um, what what do you think? Um, so I am an outsider, um, and I'm just going to put that out there. Mm-hmm. I moved here three and a half years ago, um, and I will say that um, I call it the Stepford Syndrome. Um, and for those of you who have not seen the dystopia that is Stepford, um, you know it's played as a comedy in the movies, but there's this society where the wives are perfect and pretty and they're always dressed uh as uh, dressed as a um dressed perfectly and they look perfect and they're the perfect hostess and it turns out they're robots um so it's this interesting dystopia and the robots eventually go crazy um because that pressure does cause us to go crazy um so I would say that I have seen it heightened here more than I have seen anywhere else that I have lived. But I would say, you know, it's not just exclusive to here, right? Um, So I've lived in several different places throughout my life. I grew up in the Seattle area, um, lived outside of Portland, Oregon, Boston, Massachusetts, Denver, Colorado, um, and most recently Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania before here. Um, and I can say that, you know, when I was Maddie and Haley's age, I struggled with this as well. I was just telling Mary Kay there was a point of time in my life where, um, you know, I maybe ate one meal a day, tried to not eat much more than that. Um, wow. And I would work out between three and four hours a day. Um, and, you know, and I am a type A hyper perfectionist kind of personality. Um, but... Um, you know, there's there's this pressure everywhere on women to be perfect. And I will say, yes, it is heightened here in Utah mm. more than I have seen elsewhere, mm. um, which is why I call it Stepford, um, uh, the Stepford syndrome um, for some of the women that I've seen. But it is something that I, I see in mo- many of the places I've lived, most of the places I've mm. lived. 
we are throwing out uh, this question, this key question that's, that's been posed by this series, Objectified More Than a Body. And you can find uh, all the stories in the series on our website, upr.org. A, a great series. Hope you go check those out. Um, w- the question is, I feel objectified when? And um, you uh, also on the website, you can uh, see uh, snapshots of our board, our chalkboard. And at the top it has, I feel objectified when, dot, 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 and then people have responded. We're throwing that out to you, and you can respond uh, to our email, upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. And uh, you can respond by uh, on Twitter. Our handle is at upraxcess. And you can call us at 800-826-1495. would love to hear your story, 800-826-1495. This one was very interesting. This came in by email from Lourdes. She said, I feel objectified when people tell me how pretty I am, and then I tell them I'm doing a Ph.D. in civil engineering at USU while raising three kids. The usual answer with shocked faces is good for you. I can just see the scene. Uh, it mm-hmm. surprises me how society has the weird view that women can't be beautiful and smart at the same time. I have a two-year-old mm-hmm. daughter, and whenever I do pigtails on her, I tell her, you look pretty smart, to teach her that she can be both. <laughs> So that's, I love that's that. great. That's thanks, awesome. thanks for that, Lourdes. That's, so that's a wonderful Lourdes. thing. Yeah. <laughs> so anybody want to want to comment on that? This, and I can just see this happening. Hopefully, I haven't been involved in in those conversations. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I guess mm-hmm. I could be. Anybody could be. Um, you know, you're very pretty. Well, I'm doing a PhD in civil engineering. Mm-hmm. Shock. Well, good for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my twins were born the first uh, first term of my PhD program. I have twin boys. Um, and you know, one of them has special needs. It was continual throughout my PhD program. Why don't you just drop out? You, you can't do it all. Why, why can't you, you, you need to just concentrate on being a mom and being that perfect, you know, obviously I had really bad postpartum depression. They put me on antidepressants. I gained 40 pounds. I have lost 10 of that and I am okay with that because that's what I needed to be healthy for my babies. Um, But there was definitely this pressure of you cannot be a mom and be in school. You cannot be a mom and be pressured or and um, be perfect. Um, And no, I'm not perfect. Holy heck, I don't want to be perfect. But I can, you know, accomplish goals. And I think that's important for our kids to see that we have goals Mm -hmm. and that, um, you know, that mom finds that her goals are important because you are important. You as my sons are important. Um, and for me to be better in other areas makes, will, will make your life better. Hmm. Um, so no, I'm not perfect. My house is a mess. Mm, I'm, I'm a disaster of a housemaker. Um, <laughs> my body's not perfect. Um, my front yard, I have weeds everywhere. <laughs> it's a disaster. Um, but it, it, there's a lot of pressure on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love Lourdes that telling your, your daughter that you are perfectly smart. Um, I try to emphasize, you know, you're such a hard worker with my boys. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. How about you, Mary yeah. Kay? You had five kids yeah. raising them by yourself. That, that was, it, it's, it's different. The expectations on the different genders are different, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so you have to kind of push back against each of those. So I will say that I actually had a little bit of a different, um, message to me was people a lot of said a lot of people said to me you know they they supported me and applauded me in everything I was doing Mm -hmm. um I was pregnant with my twins when I became single six months pregnant and 
I waited until they were about two years old and I went back to school. I was working full time and I went to school part time raising all five of them by myself and <laughs> thank you <laughs> and church duties and I volunteered in their classrooms and I was a recess aide for a while there too and I had tremendous support actually from the community that I was that I was actually um, I was actually given all the support the pressure came from myself the pressure came from me that I wanted I had made a vow to myself that my children would have a mother and a father through me. And so I put tremendous pressure. And I wanted them to also go out into the world and not be identified as coming from a single-parent home because of the things that happen. And I wanted them to have the experience. And, and that actually happened. So I actually had a lot of support. But the pressure came from me. And I think that was from my upbringing as a child in the culture to be perfect. Mm. Let me read a couple of these from our, our board. Uh, we have this, this chalkboard as part of the Subjectified More Than Body series. Um, I'm a, I feel objectified when Wonder Woman doesn't even have a weapon. I like that one. Um, let's see. I feel objectified when I can't do things men can do. Um, I feel objectified when guys whistle and catcall when I walk by. Um, I feel objectified uh, uh, about dress codes. Um, I feel objectified, uh, let's see, when I'm treated like an object, uh, obviously. And one person says, I feel objectified when uh, I'm treated as I'm fragile. Um, I don't, what, what, what would you say? Um, maybe Maddie first. What? I feel objectified when? Um, I feel objectified when a man tells me I can't do something. <laughs> that bothers me. Um, my dad raised me to have those kind of hard skills. Like I know how to use power tools. I can change my oil. I can change my tires. And it makes me so angry when a guy says, you can't do this. I can, you, I can do this for you. And I just think, no, like I've been taught to do this. I can do this myself. Like you, I don't need your help. Mm -hmm. And so I don't like it when they tell me that they should do it for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, what would you say, Haley? I feel objectified when? I actually agree with Maddie on this one. For me, I personally feel that's one of the biggest things I'm told is, oh, you can't do that because you're a girl. I'm I'm better at that just because you're a girl. Um, so for me, over the course of my lifetime, I feel like I've been driven enough to be like, no, I just because I'm a girl doesn't mean I can't do it. I actually can do it. I can run in heels. I can do <laughs> things that <laughs> guys maybe can't do. And so to me, um, I feel like I want to be empowered by the words that you can do this. Even I mean, I'm a little bit different than Maddie in the way that I didn't grow up knowing how to do power tools. But <laughs> education-wise, I feel like my parents always um, pursued my education and had had like drove my ability to be where I am today. I mean, they've always encouraged me to be the best I can be. I'm not in college to get married. I'm mm -hmm. I'm in college to better myself and to be well-educated. And if I'm ever like Mary Kay in the situation of being a single mom, I can provide for my family and not feel like I have to rely on a man. Because for me, I'm very independent and I think it's a good thing to be independent. And, you know, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, here's here's another, oh, uh, Can I just comment. note yes, as, yes. as proud professor, mm -hmm. like um, Maddie is serving a 
she landed one of the most sought after internships um, for the spring term, a national competitive internship with Disney this spring. Oh, congratulations. I mean, this is how awesome these students are. Um, so, yeah. Proud bomby professor. <laughs> good, good shout out. Uh, before we go to break, and when we come back from break, the very first thing we'll do is uh, is hear Mary Kay Anderson and her daughter McKenna's story. We've been putting that off. I want to hear the story. Um, but uh, going to break, uh, I've drawn up an, uh, or pulled up a photo of another board. Um, I feel objectified when Carl's Jr. and uh candy carter olson you know that you and i have done a couple of a couple of episodes of access utah on this yeah Yeah. um it's i mean it you know it gets my blood boiling and you know i'm of course i'm as i've said on those programs um i'm not the demographic Mm -hmm. it's it's young men right Mm -hmm. and uh and maybe i've matured and uh, but it's they're offensive to me as, as well sports illustrated as well we've mm-hmm. we've done a whole episode on that as well uh so let's take a break when we come back uh, we will uh, we'll hear uh, mary Anderson's story her daughter uh, suffers from uh, anorexia and uh we'll hear that story when we come back we're talking about objectified more than a body that's a series that's been running one more uh, uh piece to come uh next week and you can find all the pieces on our website upr.org Celebrate this holiday season with festive music from 17th and 18th century Mexico, Peru, and Bolivia performed by the musicians of the Historical Performance Institute at the Jacobs School of Music of Indiana University. Join us for A Baroque Christmas in the New World, a very special edition of Harmonia from PRI Public Radio International. Wednesday evening at 9 on Utah Public Radio. And you may be interested in other holiday programs. You can check out our full holiday schedule online, upr.org. Hi, this is Steve Williams. I'm bringing jazz time to UPR. Each week I'll feature commentary, history, the occasional interview, and of course lots of music. From ragtime to bop, from Havana to Paris to Logan, Utah, I'll be your guide through the many varieties of jazz music. I hope you'll join me for KCBW's Jazz Time with Steve Williams, Sunday evenings from 6 to 10 here on Utah Public Radio. Support for the Objectified More Than a Body series on UPR is provided in part by our members and Women's Giving Circle, a collection of everyday philanthropists who are raising the questions and raising the funds to explore and dismantle the state of objectification of Utah's women and girls. For information on this year's theme, Implicit Bias, visit www.womensgivingcircle.com. On a scale of 1 to 10, they rate you how hot you are. Social media chicken. I think a lot of people think, oh, it doesn't really happen here. We were only married for two years, and I was suicidal by the time I divorced him. Try your hardest, and even if you fail, that's going to just make you better. Look at your mind, and what a powerful tool that is, as opposed to always saying that they're cute and pretty. And I think any parent needs to have this conversation. You're listening to Access Utah. We've reached our last segment. We are uh, having a special Access Utah panel discussion in the series Objectified More Than a Body. Uh, it's a series of features that have been running on Morning Edition and All Things Considered on Utah Public Radio, and they're now collected on our website, upr.org. We uh, encourage you to check that out. There's some very interesting, impactful um, features there on pornography. On um, The one coming up uh, next week is a running start. Um, girls running, um, overcoming gender roles in science, sex trade, lessons in falling down. That's a fun one on the roller derby. 
uh, escaping the FLDS community. One in three, that one's about abuse, higher education and objectification, and the perils of uh, pretty. And we're talking about objectification on the program today. We're asking you to answer the question or answer, finish the sentence, I feel objectified when? And uh, you can respond to the program uh, on Twitter. We're at UPR Access. And uh, you can also respond by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. You can call us, 800-826-1495. We have with us USU students uh, Maddie Smith and Haley Hendricks. We have uh, uh, Cash Valley resident Mary Kay Anderson, and we have with us Assistant Professor of Media and Society Candy carter Olson. We hope to hear from you as well. Uh, just a few more from the board here. This is a different uh, chalkboard at a different event. Uh, they erased it and then uh, had other responses to a fill objectified when. I fill objectified when thigh gap. So that's, I think that's, yep. there's a lot of talk about that. <laughs> I can understand that one. Yeah. I fill objectified when the chest stare, uh, stare. stop it. Uh, that's, that's a good one, the chest stare. Mm-hmm. I mean, the chest stare is not good, but uh, to stop it is good. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and then, um, but uh, I feel objectified when, but you have to have kids, quote unquote. Um, that one, I uh, feel objectified when I go to church. Is that the one you're pointing to? Yeah. And that's one that we've been talking with about hmm. earlier in the, in the program. And then this one will segue into uh, Mary Kay Anderson's uh, story. I feel objectified when anorexia is not a choice. Yeah. So tell us about your, your daughter, McKenna. So when I saw that board, I saw the word anorexia, and I put an arrow down to it is not a choice. Oh, that, that was you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because... That is the number one thing I want people to understand, that number one, there's a gene for it. I carry that gene for it. I had my own episode when I was pregnant with my twins and learned um, that I would become a single mom. I lost 10 pounds in the next six days because sometimes, you know, for those of us with a gene, when we get stressed out, we don't eat. We don't think about it. I remember eating four Ritz crackers one day and being proud of myself Wow! because my twins, I was pregnant, and I only gained 17 pounds with them, but they were 11 together. So mm. bodies are amazing. They <laughs> it really compensated. I lost everything, but um, I, want to, I want to make that point that it is genetic first and foremost. Second of all, it's a personality type, which I also have and my daughter has. Perfectionism, highly driven, smart, um, anxiety is part of it, and so that kind of that kind of driven to succeed kind of personality type is who it affects. And then the third thing is an environmental trigger. For me, that was when I found out I would be single. Was my environment environmental trigger? Thank heavens, I was able to pull myself out of it because I had three little girls depending, depending on me, and I had two babies. And um, so for what happened with my daughter was when everything shifted in her life. Before that, she had lost a couple of friends, best friends. And that was kind of starting that in her, I don't know, 10, 11, 12, um, that had moved away. And then when the situation with she and I and her dad came in and was being the parent in that scenario with her, it was just through her. Um, But the thing is, the trigger happens, and it's not, I know we're speaking a lot about objectification and image, but mental illness is real. 
and eating disorders. There's 8 million people suffering from eating disorders. And as Candy said, many more men. Uh, McKenna has been lifelighted twice um, in the last two years over to Denver to the acute. I've seen men in the acute. Each person has their own room. They have a 24-hour sitter there, CNA, and they are closely watched. And it's all for refeeding syndrome because when they start to put nutrition back in the body, they die. Mm-hmm. If, it's hap- if it happens too quickly, it's called refeeding syndrome. My purpose in speaking out about this in McKenna as well, the first year in 2015 when we went through this, there's so much shame with eating disorders that McKenna just didn't want to speak about it. She didn't want to acknowledge it. When we found out she was getting life lighted the first time, she didn't even want me to tell my family because she doesn't want anybody to know because of the shame that society puts on it. And um, so it's been quite a journey for us. Um, her lowest... Um, I don't want to speak numbers, as we shouldn't with eating disorders, but it was about one and a half times less than what I weigh right now. It was Mm. significantly low. And she was, they thought she was dead when she Mm. arrived. Um, Liver failure, kidney failure, um, core temperature was 93. Very, Mm. very sick. And they lifelighted her to Denver. She spent two months in the ICU, three months in a residential facility, and then she came out and it's a it's a it's a it's a battle that is a daily thing and i was waiting she wasn't ready to come out when she came out um in may of last year but i was waiting for her to get sick enough and not die because every time i take her to the er the er doctors say well she's over 18 we have to let her go because she's she feels she's fine and that she can handle it on her own and so they would release her and they would say you're gonna die And she'd say, I think I can do this because they're tough. Mm. Eating disorder people are tough. One woman was 37 pounds, broke her hip in the airport on a commercial flight Mm. and still got herself to the acute. Mm -hmm. They're tough. Mm -hmm. And they also, their number one word is I'm fine. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we did this whole round and I knew that she was going to have to be, she was going to, to get to the point of near death because the only reason they overrode her rights before is because she would have died that night. And this year, she got a, a dangerously low again in April, and we had to override her rights, and she spent five days in the ICU, and again, life lighted to Denver, to the acute, and then went to another residential facility, and it's just, it's maddening. It's heartbreaking. She got to the point where the noise is so loud in her head to stay sick. The thing with eating disorders is, when the nurse would come in and say, hey, you're liver's looking better today your markers are improving in an eating disorder mind that says i'm a failure i must get sick again because i that's the only way i'm of value and so every time she would and and i try to focus on health and not a number not a bmi because that's that's the projection of where we want to go is is a healthy body but people will say to her is, oh, you look so thin, or you look better. It's always focused on, and I'll, all the time I see people pointing at her, and there's nothing that makes my blood boil, and I'll go right up to someone <laughs> and say, that's my daughter. Mm. Stop talking about her. And they'll say, is she okay? Clearly she's not, but we're working on it. And I just want to talk to people openly. I want people to know that they can talk to any of us anytime, and we want to speak the truth of what's going on. Part of it, 
There's a part of it that's about image. She believes that her body is meant to live at about 85 pounds. Um, That's not sustainable. And yet the eating disorder tells her that. And she's very smart. She's in, she's just finished yesterday her final. She's got all of her um, requirements done now to go in the digital medical sonography program. She's straight A student. Mm. She's very smart, but the eating disorder tells her something different. And as you heard in the segment that we did yesterday, Dr. Hill talks about the noise in their head and it's constantly going on. And so I try my very best to support her, to listen to her, to love her. And I don't give up mm-hmm. where she feels that recovery isn't possible for her she sees it for everybody else and she says I know you see it for me and I know I see it for everybody else but not for me Mm. but I believe that recovery is possible it's mental it's emotional it's physical it's spiritual it's on every level and a big part of keeping them sick is society making the wrong statements about her appearance and I encourage people, anyone suffering suffering with an eating disorder, you look happy. You look vibrant. You have vitality. You are smart. Those kind of things. And that really complement her characteristics of who she is and not what she looks like because that's that feeds it. And the more people talk about it, the more shameful it feels. And ask anyone with an eating disorder, they want to go hide in their room. They recluse. McKenna is someone who has so many people love her in in high school and in college and in high school everybody loved her and anytime somebody hears I'm McKenna's mom they go I love McKenna Mm -hmm. (laughs) she's a sweetheart Mm -hmm. but that pressure drove her to be in her room all day long and not answering a text and not answering a phone and as a mother it happened yesterday anytime that I don't hear right back from her I just have to go in my heart and go is she okay because I never know with an eating disorder, they can have a heart attack or a stroke at any moment. And they can actually be weight restored and looking fine and have a heart attack or a stroke. So you're never out of the woods. But mm-hmm. it's, um, I don't know how much further you want me to go into it. <laughs> I, I want to play it. Uh, we just have a couple minutes left. I just want to play a clip and and then maybe have a final word from Candy Carter Olson. Well, thank you so much for sharing the story. That's, You're welcome. That's thank uh, you. That's, thank uh, you. That's, I mean, it's good for us to know how to how to react to someone like McKenna, you know, mm-hmm. and and to know the, the behind the scenes. So let me just uh, let's have you uh, this clip from uh, the the uh, piece from this series, Objectified More Than a Body, which uh, just uh, was heard yesterday and this morning. It's worth it to me to do at least the minimum if I can have some of my freedoms because in treatment, all your freedoms are taken away. And so that concerns us, her family, because mm-hmm. um, we don't want her to do just the minimum, but that's the best we've got right now. And get, Yeah, the, take it or leave it. <laughs> the, the minimum, well, it's, it's her alive doing her very minimum to stay out of treatment or in treatment and being suicidal and hating every minute of it or dead. And so we're just taking, okay, this is, I'll take her at her minimum, alive. You know, we'll, we'll take what we can get. She told me last spring when she was in treatment, she said, Mom, I cannot do this any longer. She said, I feel like if you try to make me live without this eating disorder, it's like cutting off my arms and my legs and slashing my body with paper cuts and making me just live. She goes, that's how I feel. That's how painful it is for me to live in recovery. So I need to keep the eating disorder 
and function with it. So uh, we just have a, about a minute left. I want Candy Carter Olson to, to have the last word, but that, that was very impactful for me. Uh, you know, McKenna says, I, I got to live with this. You know, I, I, we can't separate me from the eating disorder. I got this and I got to live with it. So it sounds like you're, mm-hmm. you're, uh, you're uh, hopefully making progress there. Yeah. yeah. So Candy Carter Olson, just a, a minute left to wrapping up the discussion on objectification, uh, which obviously has multifaceted effects, negative effects. Uh, I want to end on maybe solutions note what would you say a minute on on uh, what we can do you know i mean it's the solutions that i talk about with my students and they hear this a lot which is you know what we need to change our thinking from uh take care of your body not because you hate it but because you love it and talking to our little girls about how as lourdes said you're pretty smart not you're pretty mm-hmm. or as mary Kay said man, you look happy today, or that was really kind of you, or that was a brilliant response instead of, you look skinny today. Mm-hmm. Um, that You look great. You lost weight, didn't you? Um, that's the wrong response. The, the right response for all women and men should be, you are smart, you are kind, you are worth it, you are loved. Mm-hmm. Um and you belong. You have a place where you belong. Uh, great. A great place to end the, the program. Uh, except we have a, an email that's come in, which is wrapping up part of our discussion. So, unfortunately, we won't have to have comment on this comment. But uh, here's I want to get this in. This is from Rand. He says, you have a very interesting and important subject today. I find it sad, however, when your guests blame the LDS Church for what they feel about this. I expect this from the Salt Lake Tribune, but not from UPR. The mistake is equating the LDS Church with the Wasatch Front social culture. Many of us who are LDS do not like the Wasatch Front culture either, but we recognize that that culture is not the church. Your guests need more experience with LDS people in other cultures in this country and around the world. For my part, as an LDS man, I feel something like, uh, quote-unquote, objectified when I hear people say, quote-unquote, the LDS Church is to blame for what they don't like about Wasatch Front culture. So we'll just uh, let that stand. Um, and uh, you can comment on our email, upraxis at gmail.com. Uh, thank you uh, so much for being with us today. Candy Carter Olson, Haley Hendricks, Maddie Smith, and Mary Kay Anderson. Appreciate the discussion. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, thanks for listening today. You're listening to Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSUFM Logan, and also heard at upr.org.